get right into the message because I have a lot of ground to cover this morning. And um, if you were not here over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've done a series, we, we're calling it uh, Food for Thought. We're going to carry it one more week uh, next Sunday as well. But um, I have found that food is awesome. Anyone else? Yeah. It's awesome. In fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you cannot live without it. You got to have it. And uh, we maybe don't need quite as much as we have. But uh, uh, anyway, <clears throat> the Bible helps us understand some things. And, and so I've been using some natural illustrations to help you understand some spiritual truths. And uh, last week I said this, that, that an apple is no respecter of persons. And I use that to illustrate a truth that God's word is no respecter of persons. And, and if you eat this apple, there's all kinds of good things that's in an apple. It helps your stomach. It helps your brain. It helps you supposedly lose weight, all kinds of other things. If it gets rotten, then you can make apple sauce out of it. You can mash it up, make apple juice out of it. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do with it, but here's what an apple won't do. An apple won't get on the inside of you and say, I don't like you. Or an apple won't get on the inside of you and say, well, because you've only been eating oranges, I'm not going to produce in you what I produce in somebody else. An, or, an apple is no respecter of persons. An apple will do in you exactly what it is designed to do. All things being equal, there are some things that can happen. Our physical bodies, there are people that have, I believe it's called celiac disease, that their bodies will not process certain nutrients that are found in foods. They can eat the foods, but, but their body has, is unable to process it. And it causes them to be malnourished. And similarly, the, the same is true spiritually. You can get the word of God, but if there are things that are on the inside of you that are not right, if there's unforgiveness in your life, if there's strife in your life, Sometimes traditions, Jesus said that it was the traditions that caused the power of God to have no effect. Here was Jesus. He was ministering to people, laying hands on people, praying for people, and nothing powerful, nothing miraculous happened. And so he began to go about all of the cities and all the villages, and he began to teach the word of God. The word of God is like food. And you need to understand this, that we live life on three levels. We live life... In our physical body, we have a body. One day we will be evicted from this body. We have a soul that is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we have a spirit. That is the part that communes and, 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 and talks with God in a sense. It is on the same level. We talked about those things over the last couple of weeks. And um, pardon me just a moment while I tie my shoe because I know that the front row is already nervous about me tripping on it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Actually, I just wanted to show off my bald head. Anyway, First <clears throat> um, Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, and, and again, a couple of things very quickly in review to help build on the foundation that we are building upon. It says in First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he again differentiates the difference between spirit and soul and body. God is concerned about all three of those things, and you should be as well. But because we have spent the entirety of our life inside this flesh and blood, inside this body, this is what feels the realest to us. This is what is most real. Spiritual things almost seem afar off, almost seem like they're not real, almost mystical and magical 
And yet that is the part, the dimension of you that is going to exist forever. And so we said this, that you are a spiritual being who has a soul and you currently live inside of a body. When your body ceases to function, you will have the same soul and the same spirit. You will have memories. You will have all of those things that you have right now. When you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, Jesus said, you must be born again. Your spirit is made brand new. Actually, what God does is he, he, he destroys the old you, gets you out of the way, and puts a brand new spirit on the inside of you. It is one that is in God's class, in God's nature, in God's image, if you will. And so you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you live inside of a body. And so our premise is simply this about a spiritual diet, about the nutrition that you eat. Our premise is simply this, that there isn't anything that you're facing right now that I, I hate to use the word wrong with you. I don't mean it in that sense, but, but like, what's wrong with you? I don't mean it like that. But there's nothing that you're facing that the right spiritual diet cannot fix in your life. I have that much confidence in God's word. I have that much faith in God's word that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we would even ask or that we would even think. And so the Bible gives us the analogy of eating. We know that it was eating that got humanity in the problem in the Garden of Eden. It was eating that gets the problem, gets humanity out of the problem when Jesus said, we'll look at it here in just a moment. In fact, really what this series is, it's teaching you to eat the food of redemption. The food of redemption will produce in you what God intended for it to do. And, and I'm using the illustration of eating because it's something that we all understand. If you just had a snack today and you didn't eat until next week, you would be hangry you would be susceptible to sickness, weakness, all of those things that would be going on in your life. If you continued that pattern of eating a snack on one day a week, eventually you would be so emaciated, you couldn't function, and eventually you would die. Same thing happens spiritually. Eat one snack a week or every couple of weeks, you're going to have no spiritual energy, no spiritual strength to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And so Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16 <clears throat> says this, your words were found, I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, <clears throat> for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your words were found and I ate them. And the moment that the, your word got on the inside of me, something happened. That word produced something in me. And the result of that word being in me was joy and rejoicing. If you don't have joy and rejoicing in your heart, it's because your diet's not right. There's a good chance that you're feeding on too much CNN or, or NBC or M, whatever it is that you, you're feeding too much on that. You're feeding too much on sports. You're feeding too much on, on whatever it is, and you're not feeding on the Word of God because God's Word will produce in you exactly what God said that it would. Right. Got to know that. We got to believe that. We've got to operate as if that is so. And so... As I said, we're learning to eat the food of redemption. You have the communion elements. We're going to talk about communion this morning. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about natural hunger and natural thirst here. I don't know if you know this. I've heard this before, that sometimes we mistake hunger we, we think that we are hungry naturally. We think that we're hungry, but really what we are is we're thirsty. And if we will have a glass of water, if we'll drink some water, that hunger will go away. Hunger is disguised, or thirst is disguised almost as being hungry. Well, there are things that are 
that we all hunger for. I've mentioned that you can get hungry physical, physically, but you can get hungry in your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. There are people who need approval. They are hungry for approval, so they will do things to set out to get the approval of people around them. There are people who are, 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 are perhaps uh, uh, in fear about something. They're, they're, they're hungry for security, and so they control. They try to do things to make sure that every I is dotted, T is crossed, so that I don't ever have to be afraid. It's because we're soulishly hungry. Well, Jesus said that I am bread and that I'm, th- I, I'm something for you to drink when you are thirsty. And I have found in my life and I found in, in the lives of a lot of people that many times there is a spiritual hunger that we have, but we don't recognize it as a spiritual hunger. And so we're trying to fill that, that hunger. We're trying to fill that inadequacy. We're trying to fill, fill that loneliness with all kinds of things out there when the answer actually is what Jesus has said in his word. The answer actually is Jesus. Jesus said that I will be bread for you. And we recognize that as the communion elements. We recognize that as the cup and as the bread. And so last week we finished up with this thought. And I've got probably more scriptures today than I have in a long time. And I'm going to throw a lot at you this morning. I'm going to give you a lot of things. This is really more of a teaching than it is a, a preaching, inspirational kind of a thing. Because... Well, I have a, had a friend, he passed away now, but uh, he was a preacher and years ago, he made this illustration. I've used this before, but I think it really fits for this particular uh, point of the message. Uh, growing up, he was a high school quarterback. He was the starting quarterback his junior and senior year, pretty good athlete. His, who, the, the woman who eventually became his wife was the head cheerleader. And uh, so, of course, you know, you can understand that was quite the relationship and everything. And so Friday Night Lights, they had football and everything else. About 10 years later, they were married. He, he's a big college football fan. He lived down in Arkansas. And he was watching a football game on Saturday afternoon. And as his wife was walking through the living room, she heard the announcer say, first and 10. First and 10. And she stopped and she looked at him and she said, what does that mean? And he goes, what do you mean, what does that mean? First and 10, what is that? He goes, are you kidding me? First and 10, you don't know what first and 10 is? No, I don't, I don't know what it is. How can you not know what first and 10 is? You literally said that hundreds and hundreds of times at high school football games. First and 10, do it again. She goes, yeah, that was a cheer that they taught me, but I had no idea what first and 10 was. <laughs> Guess what? Welcome to church. Welcome to communion. Because there are things that we were just taught and we just went through the motion and we just repeated and we just did, but we have no idea really what it means. So Jesus said this in John chapter 6. And this is just a portion of it, two verses. In John chapter 6 and verse 53, Jesus said to them, and again, this is a little bit out there and a little bit almost repulsive to us. But he said, most assuredly, I say to you that unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, (laughs) you have no life in you. Doesn't that just sound ghoulish, kind of weird? I can just see the people in today going like, what in the world is this guy talking about? How can I eat his body and drink his blood? Yeah, it's gross. Jesus was trying to help him understand something. That was coming. It was the food of redemption. Verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Again, the the, the dual nature of humanity that we are a spirit, but we live inside of a body. And he said, the words that I speak, they give life. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are 
life. If we're trying to find life, if we're trying to find fulfillment, if we're trying to find completion outside of Christ, we are going to be spiritually hungry and we're going to be trying to meet that spiritual hunger with natural things. It could be possessions, it could be position, it could be addresses, it could be a lot of different things, relationships and all kinds of things, drugs, alcohol, all of that stuff fits into that category of trying to meet a spiritual need with natural things. And they will never satisfy like fully understanding what Jesus did for us. And so I'm going to use a lot of scriptures today because I want to go through, I like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It was where Paul was giving instruction to the church. He was giving instruction to the church about communion. And I typically will read uh, from about verse 23 down to about verse 27. I like to, I like to use that because it sort of encapsul- encapsulates really what communion actually is. But when Paul was, when Paul was writing that the church of Corinth and understand that the, the letters, many of the letters that Paul had written, but particularly to the church at Corinth, he was answering questions. They had written him concerning questions, things that were going on in the church, things that were going on in the local assembly. And, and that's why you will read through there in verse tw- or chapter 12, he's talking about now concerning spiritual gifts. Well, they had asked him about spiritual gifts. And so he was answering some questions. And while I start many times in verse 23, where Paul said for, you know, I've delivered unto you, which the Lord gave to me on the same night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread, he broke it, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. I, I start there, Paul didn't. Paul actually started in verse 17, and Paul was teaching on communion because of some things that they were doing that were wrong as it related to the communion service. Verse 17, and I want to read this from the Passion Translation. It's a little bit more modern and and, uh, I think expresses some things really well. Paul was writing to them. He says, now, on this next matter, I wish that I could commend you, but I cannot. Because when you meet together as a church family, it is doing more harm than good. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could have lived in the days of Jesus and the apostle. It was so wonderful. It was a, Paul was saying, you'd be better off staying at home than you would be coming to church. I am so glad that in 31 years of Joy Christian Center, I have never had to say that to you. Maybe one or two of you I would like to. But anyway, <laughs> you're causing more harm than good. Now, he said, right, you're coming together. is more harmful than it is beneficial to Can you imagine that? What was going on? Well, Paul had said, I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people. Had to speak to you like a bunch of babies. We read that last week, two weeks ago. Again, their diet needed to be altered. I wanted to give you strong meat. I wanted to give you some solid food, but I had to go back and give you a bottle again because you're just a big bunch of babies. There's envying and there's strife and there's division among you. (laughs) Oh, the apostle Paul, he's just so wonderful. (laughs) Actually, they were just, listen to this, verse 20. When all of your house churches gather as one church family, you are not really properly celebrating the Lord's Supper. For when it comes time to eat, some gobble down their food before anything is given to others. One is left hungry and others become drunk. <laughs> Woohoo! Time for communion! Oh my gosh. They were, they were literally practicing every man for themselves. I'm going to get what I get. Some people got too much. Some didn't get any. Others were partying. They had totally lost sight of what it was that they were doing. They didn't understand the why behind the what. First and 10, do it again. We're going to go to church again. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> and so, so Paul was really kind of getting after him. This wasn't a friendly, in fact, like you said, I, I, I really didn't want to say it to you like this, but 
Stay home. Don't come to church. You're causing more problems. Paul was really kind of chewing them out. And, and that's why at the end of his teaching, he gives a little bit of a warning. Verse 29 says this, for continually eating and drinking with a wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many are weak, chronically ill, and some are even dying. Now think about that. Paul is saying because of the way that you're approaching the communion service and because of the way that you are neglecting certain things and doing other things, this is why, and he didn't say a few, he said many of you, many of you, many of you are weak, you're chronically ill, and some are even dying. Why? Because they didn't properly discern or understand the Lord's body. Now, we've kind of made a tradition among the church where it's, it, it's sort of like if you take communion with a wrong spirit, you're going to die or you're going to get sick. That's not exactly what Paul was talking about. So I, I believe this. If that's true, which I believe that it is, if, if with the wrong attitude, the wrong idea, the wrong understanding of communion, it can, it can have adverse effects upon us, don't you, wouldn't it make sense that if we had the right understanding, the opposite would be true? That if we approached the body of Christ, the bread and the cup, if we approached it with the right heart, with the right understanding, with the right motive, with all of that rightness, that it would produce life in us, it would produce strength in us, it would produce uh, longevity in us. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make sense? And so that's what I want to <clears throat> kind of get at today. And so the Apostle Paul, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. No, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 11:23. We'll skip that one. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, from the New King James, and this is what I like to read. He said this, I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. Paul wanted them, first of all, to understand that what I'm about to tell you, church at Corinth, because you've been doing this the wrong way, what I'm about to tell you isn't something I made up. It isn't something I thought of. This came directly from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that Jesus told me about the communion service that I'm now telling you. I've received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take and eat for this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, as, as, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul had a direct revelation from the Lord Jesus, and he was recapping what had happened at the Passover meal. He was recapping what had happened with the disciples at what we call the Last Supper, but the Last Supper was really something that they celebrated every year called the Passover meal. But one thing that is evident from this is that there are three things that are important. Number one is the cup. Number two is the bread. And Jesus said, when you do these things, remember me. You see, they had lost sight of Jesus. It was every man for themselves. I'm going to get what I can get. I'm going to get as much as I can get. And I'm going to just party up and I'm going to have a good time. I don't think God's, a, you know, God is not opposed to us having a good time at all. And we tend to make the communion service something that is very somber because we're, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. We're, we are remembering the sacrifice. There's also good news in it. There's also power in it. There's also life in it. And so when Jesus, and, and, and I talk about this a little bit on our Good Friday service, that when Jesus was doing the communion service, doing the, the Passover meal with the disciples, 
The disciples were kind of scratching their head because Jesus was saying, when he, looked at the, when he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples are like, wait a second, what, what are you talking about? And then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's, it's for the forgiveness of sin. He said, when you take it, remember me. And, and, and as he's saying these things, they're all like scratch, kind of scratching their head. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And then Jesus says, we're not going to do this again. <clears throat> we're not going to do this again until the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to be doing this with you until we're all together. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We do this every single year. We do the Passover meal. We do all of this stuff every year. But now you're throwing us a curveball. And it's like, what are you talking about? The cup is your blood. The bread is your body. We're not going to do this again because Jesus knew that, that he was about to become the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for the world. He knew that everything was going to change in, their, in the world of the disciples. And they were going to think that everything was done and every, that everything was, that Jesus was trying to do was over. And Jesus wanted them to remember that when that time came, that they were going to be tempted to fall away, to turn away, that they would remember the words of Jesus, that my body is going to be broken and my blood is going to be shed. And really what that was, it was hearkening back to the feast of Passover, hearkened back to the day, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when, when Israel was being released from captivity of the Egyptians. They were slaves in Egypt and, and God brought the plagues uh, onto, you know, into Egypt and on the people and, and the worst plague, the last plague was the death of the firstborn in every house. And so communion, the Passover meal, really, really harkens back to that particular time. And, and the Passover experience, if you will, for the land of Egypt as well as the people of Israel who were a part of that land. Let me just read this very quickly. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6. It says this, this is what was God, the instruction that had come to the people of Israel. On the evening of the 14th day of this month, all these lambs shall be killed. Their blood shall be placed on the two side frames of the door of every home, of every home, and on the panel above the door. Use the blood of the lamb eaten in that home. Everyone shall eat roast lamb that night with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Everybody was supposed to have a lamb in their house, all of the nation of Israel. They were to kill the lamb, they were to roast the lamb, they were take, to take the blood, and they were to put it on the doorposts of the house. Every single house needed a lamb. And that is a lesson for every single one of us. Every single one of us needs a lamb. We need the blood of the lamb. There are a lot of people who think <laughs> that because, because God liked Israel better than he liked Egypt, that, that Israel's houses escaped death. They didn't escape death. There was a death that came to every single house. But it was the death of the lamb that was a substitutionary death. The Egyptians didn't have a lamb, and so the firstborn of every house died. It says this in verse 12 of, of Exodus chapter 12. He said, I will pass through the land of Egypt tonight and kill all the oldest sons and the firstborn male animals in all of the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment upon all of the gods of Egypt, for I am Jehovah. The blood that you have placed on the doorposts will be proof that you obey me. And when I see the blood, we just want to pause there for a moment. When I see the blood. You know what God's looking for in the life of people? Not their goodness. Not how many times they went to church. Not how many times they prayed. Not how many sins they had committed. God looks for one thing and one thing only. He is looking for the blood of Christ. 
He is looking for the blood that washes away sin. He is looking for the blood that bought and purchased our redemption. He is looking for the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the power of the blood of Jesus was that it didn't just cover over sin. It didn't just cover it up. It got underneath the stain of sin and it lifted even the very stain out so that you and I are left pure and white and spotless. That is the power of the blood. And so he said, when I see the blood... I will pass over you and I will not destroy your firstborn children when I smite the land of Egypt. Again, judgment was coming to everybody. Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have. We, you know, people say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People go there of their own volition, of their own will. God has provided a way out. It's called the lamb. And if you will eat the lamb, if you will eat of him, if you will drink of him, there is a life that will be imparted to your spirit. And just like an apple will work in you, even though you don't know that apple is working in you, God will work in you, even though you don't know that he's working in you. He is working to will and to do of his good pleasure in your life. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the author and he is the finisher of your faith. Let him have his work in you. Get in agreement with God. Get in agreement with his word. And so Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand that everything that had happened in the Passover meal that was a picture of what happened when God was bringing freedom to the people, the nation of Israel, was going to be accomplished in Jesus Christ himself. There was a death in every house, but a substitutionary death through the lamb was in the house of Israel. You see, every single one of us have died if we've made Jesus the Lord of our life. This is, I think, one of the, let me just use this illustration one more time. I love this illustration. I've used it many times, but I I think it will help some of you. Because here's what we do. We try to live Christianity from the outside in. We're trying hard to quit. We're trying hard to stop. We're trying hard to start. We're trying hard to do all kinds of different things. And we're just trying real hard. And we work up an emotion. I just feel bad. I'm good. All that stuff. Life comes from the inside. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Paul said in, in, in the book of Galatians, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living with my life. I'm not living with my strength. I'm not preaching with my life or my strength. I'm preaching by the strength. I'm living by the strength of the life of the Son of God that resides on the inside of me. It is called being God inside minded. I'm not saying that I'm great, awesome, all those things. It's very humbling to admit that it's God's presence in me. It's God's presence in you. So his life is in us. And years ago, I was driving down, actually past the McDonald's that is in Highway 10, and I saw a big sign out there that said, uh, we will be closed for remodeling. Please pardon our, our, the inconvenience. I thought, oh, okay, they're going to change something in there. They're going to go by there a few days later. It was gone. They tore the whole thing down. They ripped it right down, and they built a brand new one right on top of it. I think it was when we were building this building. I'm kind of like, man, I like the way they remodel there. 
I mean, they just got everything out of the way, took, got rid of the oak, put something brand new in its place. And, and the moment I thought that, it was like God, the Spirit of God said, that's exactly what I did on the inside of you. I didn't just cover over the old nature. I didn't just kind of do a little bit of remodeling to the old nature. I killed the old nature. I got the old nature out of the way, and I put a brand new nature in its place. Now you get to live with my life. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go get some French fries. (laughs) Okay, I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. (laughs) There's a new life on the inside of you. So quit trying to live with the old one. That's why the Apostle Paul said when he was talking about, <clears throat> about I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a message for you. I had something I wanted to tell you that I wanted to get over to you, but I couldn't give you food, solid food. I had to give you milk. And he said, there's envying and strive division among you. And you are walking like mere men. You're walking like normal human beings. Quit doing that is really kind of what he was trying to say. So <clears throat> the Apostle Paul he said this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And I thought, I'll get some artisan bread. One day I'm going to make a hamburger big enough for this to be the bun. <laughs> Maybe. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat, give thanks. Now, it's interesting that in the Gospels, when Jesus talked about the bread, he didn't actually give a definition of what the bread was. He just simply said, the bread is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what do we know that happened in the Last Supper? What do we know that happened after the Last Supper? Jesus went on trial and we know that his body was beaten. We know that his body was battered. It was bruised. He was whipped. In fact, some, some people, scholars who, who understand that stuff and other scripture says that, that he was so beaten and so bloodied that actually his back was so ripped open, it didn't look like 39 lashes. It looked like just one big whip mark because his back was laid open. Couldn't recognize whether or not it was a human. He looked like human hamburger. He was so beaten. Why? Why? Isaiah says this. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes, that's the whip marks. When Jesus, when his body was broken and when his body was battered, it was for a reason. It was to carry out Redemption. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they opened up the door to sickness, to disease, to poverty, to to fear, to all of these other things. Opened up the door to that. And so God was using Jesus to be the Lamb of God to bring redemption to humanity, to purchase them back and to restore them to what God had originally intended. The Hebrew word for griefs and sorrows should actually be translated sickness and disease and pains. That's what the Hebrew word means. And so when we read, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, it means that he has carried our sicknesses and our diseases and our pains. 1 Peter 2, 24, or I'm sorry, Matthew 8, 17. Matthew was in a different position uh, uh, as far as a timeline. Isaiah was looking towards the cross. Matthew was looking back at the cross, at what had happened. But he quoted from Isaiah, and look at what he says in Matthew 8, 17. So that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Isaiah, looking towards the cross, said, Put it in the future. He's carried. He will carry. He took. 
Matthew, looking back at the cross, himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. 1 Peter 2, 24, Peter was writing to the church and he said, he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. How many of you believe that Jesus took our sin upon himself when he was on Calvary's cross? Amen. Amen. How many of you trust him for the forgiveness of sin? Amen. Even though I don't feel like I might be forgiven, sometimes that happens. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. God said, I will forgive you. And I'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. Amen? Amen. Well, why would we think that that's true and then argue about the next part? Because the same sacrifice, the same Savior, the same thing. Notice what Peter says. He said, uh, uh, <clears throat> again, he who, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. The same sacrifice of our Savior that dealt with your sin also deals with sickness, with disease, with our pains, with our sufferings. So when we receive communion in a few moments, it isn't just us taking bread. It isn't just first and 10, do it again. We're to remember what the sacrifice of Jesus did for us. And then he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this it's for the remission of sins, he said in the Gospels. Do this in remembrance of me. The new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant. You are a part of a new covenant, a better covenant. A covenant is an agreement. It's a contractual type thing. It's a new covenant. <clears throat> in fact, if you look at some versions, of King James Version of the Bible, you'll see the Old Testament and the New Testament. They might say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The new covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus. But, but let me just give you a couple of things. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, says this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things that were to come, not the good things themselves. And so really he's, well, let me read it. <clears throat> the, sacrifice, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. It was the blood of bulls and goats it was the sacrificial system, all of the things that they did that the high priests would do and offer upon the altar for the people, the nation of Israel, had to be done over and over and over again because it, it, it didn't have lasting strength or power. But then verse 10 Verse 11 says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, thank God, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in a place of honor at God's right hand. One sacrifice for all time, for all people. That's our Savior. That's the power of his blood. And notice again when he says, under the old covenant, the priests stand and minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. The same sacrifices that can't, can I just tell you this morning, all of your sacrificing cannot make up for sin. Quit it. Quit beating yourself up. Quit whining, <laughs> moaning and groaning and complaining. Quit hiding from God. Quit hiding from the church. Quit hiding from the people of God. All of you online, if there's any of you that are out there, it's like, I don't want to go to church because of what people think of me. We aren't thinking about you, first of all. <laughs> That's one of the greatest lies of the devil. Same thing with us here in this room today. 
Well, if people know, if they, I can't get, forget it. Bring it to God. Because all the sacrifices that you try to do in the world will never take away sin. It'll never deal with it. It'll never, it, it's not going to help you. Only one can. And every time we take that cup, we bring that to our remembrance that it was one sacrifice for everybody. Amen. Ooh, that removes the sin one time for all of us. So let me bring this home. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. You know, there's really not a whole lot in the New Testament about communion other than to remember what it's about. Verse 16 says, when we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine at the Lord's table, this means, doesn't it, that all who drink it are sharing together the blessing of Christ's blood. And when we break off pieces of the bread from the loaf to eat there together, this shows that we are sharing together in the benefits of his body. We need to understand <clears throat> that in the communion service, we are remembering benefits and we are remembering blessings. We are remembering the benefit and the blessing of what the sacrifice of Jesus did for us in the cup and in the bread. Let me just give you this real quick. In the blessing of the Lord, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. How many are you glad for that? <laughs> Who heals a few of your diseases. Wait, how many? He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Thank God for the loving kindness and tender mercy. Mercy is what you get when you didn't deserve it. You deserve judgment, but instead God was merciful to us. And his mercy is kind to us. Praise God. Who satisfies your mouth, satisfies your mouth. Here we are eating again. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Then he says these words. Paul says this in finishing up this. Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner actually means unworthily. He is now bringing them back to what he had said originally. You're doing this wrong. It's every man for himself. You are not respecting one another. You're butting in front of one another. You're carrying on in ways that you shouldn't be carrying on. You have forgotten what it meant to be a part of the body of Christ. You have forgotten your brothers and you've forgotten your sisters and you've forgotten your Savior. And you've allowed the nature of your flesh, you've allowed uh, that desire for more, if you will, you've, you've allowed that to get in the way of what God wants to accomplish in the service. He said, you'll be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. And so he says, let a man examine himself. Let him eat of that bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And very quickly, let me just throw this at you. Examining yourself is one of the most important parts of the community service. And we're to judge ourselves. We're to examine ourselves after two measures. Number one, when he said not discerning the Lord's body. It is in understanding what the sacrifice did, what the sacrifice accomplished. His body was broken so that he could be bread to the hungry, so that he could fill the emptiness of our life and the emptiness of our heart, so that he could be the healer of our diseases and our sickness and our pain. The cup, his blood was shed. His blood was shed to ratify a new and better covenant. 
so that we could become children of God. And so we remember the cup and the bread in that, but there's more to the body of Christ. There's more to the body of Christ. You see, Pastor John is not just Pastor John. He's my brother in Christ. (laughs) Michelle is my sister in Christ. Every single one of you that are a part of the body of Christ are brothers and sisters and family. And when I don't recognize the body of Christ by speaking ill will, by harboring strife and unforgiveness, when I don't recognize that you and I are members together of the body of Christ, (laughs) that's what Paul was saying to them. He said, you guys are putting yourself first instead of your brothers and sisters. You've gotten this all out of order. It was the cup that brings us together. It was the bread that causes us to become one. And we partake of the cup and we partake of the bread. It is one cup. It is one bread that signifies one body of Christ, Jesus the head, and you and I, his hands and his feet and his voice and his love, patience, and kindness. He said, because of this, some of you are weak and sick Some of you die young because you don't discern, you don't understand what happens with unforgiveness, what happens with strife, how that can separate you from the nourishing supply that Jesus wants to be to you. So, Joy Christian Center. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. We are so unworthy. Father, you look past that. I'm asking you all to take the communion elements this morning, and I hope that we receive this in a way that perhaps we never have before. Oh, Father, we worship you tonight. Today, Father, we worship you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you. Apostle Paul, when he said, For I have delivered unto you that which the Lord Jesus delivered unto me, that the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he blessed it. And he said, Take and eat. And so, Father, we lift this bread to you today. Father, I thank you that it is by the broken body of Jesus that we have sustenance, that we have life, that it fills every hunger that we have. Father, I thank you that it brings healing. It brings strength to our physical bodies. And so, Father, with that revelation and understanding, we remember you this morning. Let's receive the bread together.
Father, we are so humbled by the blood of Christ that he willingly, that Jesus willingly laid down his life and he shed precious blood for us. Father, I thank you for the benefit of the cross. And so, Father, as Jesus gave us instruction after he took the cup, he blessed it. And so, Father, we bless the cup today. We thank you for the benefit of the cup. We thank you for the benefit of salvation, of forgiveness, of, uh, of fellowship with you. Father, I thank you that this blood doesn't just cover over sin as it did in the Old Testament, but it's powerful that it washes away every stain, every guilt, even the remembrance of it. And so, Father, it is with that knowledge and revelation that we receive together the cup in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Father. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed this morning, look at nobody looking around if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your Savior. <clears throat> Maybe you're kind of like the McDonald's. You need a little bit of remodeling. You need a little bit of upkeep. You, there's some things going on in your life that, that, that you wish you could get past and that you wish you could get over, get over it. But God says, you know what? I want to put a new life on the inside of you. We're going to get rid of the old and put something new in you. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your Savior, your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again, but you want to. I ask you to simply lift your hand. I want to pray with you, lead you in a prayer. Just hold your hand up real high this morning, anyone at all. Anyone at all? Just hold your hand up for a moment. Praise God. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Praise God. Let's all pray this. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that hand. Everyone with your hand that had your hand up and everybody, let's just pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, come to you today in Jesus' name. I need a Savior. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe today. You died for me, and your blood washed away every sin. It's your grace and power that makes me brand new. So I thank you today, based on my confession of faith. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Inside me, there's a brand new life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Could we stand one more time? And just sing that chorus one more time. <clears throat> Francisco. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Just worship him in it. of men and women. I thank you that as we leave this place, that we leave fresh, alive, and brand new in you. I thank you that we've received of your word today. We've had a great spiritual meal. And Father, faith has arisen in our heart. And we believe, Father, that we're going to be sustained in that strength and in that life in the days ahead. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful